What's up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Professional Athlete Podcast. We are joined this week by Dr. Morgan Levine. She's currently the Assistant Professor of Pathology and Epidemiology at the Yale University School of Medicine. She is one of the leading experts on the science of biological aging, specifically using bioinformatics to quantify the aging process. She's a leading voice in the field of aging and longevity science, and she is joining this week fresh off the launch of her first book titled True Age, Cutting Edge Research to Help Turn Back the Clock. Admittedly, I've been excited about this conversation because over the last few years, there has been a groundswell of interest and conversation around the idea of understanding how our chronological age can differ from our biological age. Some of you may already be saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, don't worry. We're going to get to it. So while I haven't yet tested my own biological age, I certainly will be following this conversation. You know, we discuss everything from what is biological aging? Why does aging occur? Can we measure it? And most importantly, can we actually do something about it? So this was a really fun conversation and I sincerely enjoyed her book. I would highly recommend it. So go out, get a copy of True Age. I hope you take a lot away from this one. And, and more than anything, I hope it inspires some folks to take action. So switching gears. Thank you, as always, once again, to those who listen or are enjoying the show. I feel really fortunate to get to have great conversations like this one. So I'm always so happy when I hear from others that they're getting something from it, too. So thank you. And if you fall in that camp and you'd be so kind, please do leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. It goes a long way. And let's see here. One last housekeeping item. We've been absolutely slammed here in the Gunter household. So no run it by my wife this week. But we're going to make sure to do a recap because these last two episodes were awesome. <laughs> there are so many things to take away. We're just going to dedicate a full episode to it. So for those of you who really listen to the show just to hear Sonia, don't worry. She will be back. All right. Without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Morgan Levine to the show. Here we go. We're going up. Dr. Levine, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Uh, yeah, very excited to have you here. So so this, the nature of your work is um, a huge interest of mine. And I will be completely honest. I have not had my biological age tested yet. And recently, I'm like, you know, I really need to do that. But I'm going to hold out until I get to talk to Dr. Levine to, to make sure that I'm going about it the right way. Yeah. Sometimes I think people too wait till they've been on very good behavior, right? Before they, that, they do yeah. it as well. Clean up my act a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, hey, maybe for those who aren't familiar with the nature of your work, would you mind just telling the audience a little bit about what you do, what your focus is? Yeah. So um, I run what's called the Aging Living Systems Lab at Yale. And we're really interested in kind of two things. Number one is, can we actually try and quantify the aging process? So I'm not talking about, you know, how we measure age in terms of chronological years, but can we actually measure the amount of kind of change your system or your body has undergone over time? And we think that this is important because it's predictive 
of things like remaining life expectancy or disease. Yeah. Um, and then the other half of my lab is really interested on, is there anything you can do about this? So what drives kind of the rate at which that happens? Mm. Can you do things to slow it down? Or even some people think potentially, can you somehow revert it to some degree? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's why I'm so intrigued. Um, you know, so again, uh, for my listeners are probably tired of hearing me say this. I'm in like my mid 30s. So I, I'm very much at that point in my life where I'm like, you know, not quite as invincible as I once was. And now, you know, laser focused on like, hey, what, what can I do to maintain? Right. And I think mm -hmm. uh, historically, that would probably be like, a, you know, a pretty, a pretty good objective. But now what's so exciting is like, whoa, is there actually an opportunity to, you know, quote unquote, like turn back the clock a little bit? Um, so maybe maybe to that end, could, could we even, because I feel like maybe this is evolving um, at a, kind of a rapid rate. Could we start by talking through like how you define aging? Yeah, so I, I think I like to define it thinking of it from kind of the system's perspective and first thinking about it in terms of how our bodies are just constructed to begin with. So to have a, you know, a, a living system, especially a human, you need this very complex arrangement of everything kind of in the right order um, to be able to do all the amazing functional things that a human body can do. Uh, but unfortunately, you can't maintain that complexity and structure forever. Hmm. And so over time, due to you know a number of things, random perturbations, you slowly drift away from this optimal state. Hmm. Um, and, and with that, you you lose functioning because your body is not really set up the way it was initially designed. Um, so that that's kind of how I think of aging. You know, people have, in the field have everyone has a different definition, but I like to kind of use this kind of system state change. Yeah. Well, and you know, now I'm I'm gonna uh, divert off path a little bit. At, at what point? Um, and maybe I, I imagine it's different for the individual. But at what point do our systems kind of reach like that? peak optimization and then at which point uh, like you know i mentioned i love some of the anecdotes in your in your book that's about to come out um when does that ball start rolling downhill like what yeah. what is that age for from chrono excuse me chronological age <laughs> for most people so actually i would say science doesn't know the answer like mm. when is your body at like the most optimal functioning and it actually probably depends somewhat on the functioning so Certain things uh. you you do better earlier in life. And actually, we can observe aging even as early as in the womb. So like before birth, you see some of these changes occurring. Hmm. Um, so, you know, some things you develop over time, right? You're, you develop your immune system over time. So this is probably at its highest kind of functional fidelity a little later, whereas your regenerative capacity may be a little earlier. So, mm. yeah, hard to say. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point too. And, um, you know, even thinking about athletics, you know, more broadly, like if you're like an explosive athlete, like a sprinter, you know, your peak could be, I don't know, mid twenties, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe even like thirties, you know, if you really take great care of yourself, but like strength-based athletes, you know, they might experience, um, the highest points in their career, like all the way into their like early forties. Mm -hmm. Um, so that is, that is like a good lens, I think, to like step back and look at it through. It's like, okay, well, what are we trying to define? Um, that makes a lot more sense. Well, and, and something I think that would be helpful just for the the audience, you know, what is the difference between someone's chronological age, um, and what we would call like their biological age? Yeah. So chronological age is what, you know, everyone knows, right? It's the number of years, days, months that you've been alive. Trips around um, the sun. And, 
Exactly. There you go. And we we put a lot of importance on this age. Mm. And we think of it, you know, there's definitely a negative connotation, but actually it's not this chronological time that matters, but it's because it tends to be kind of correlated with what we think of your biological age, which goes back to the systems ideas, the uh, the degree of change your body has undergone. And this is kind of a maladaptive change. Um, so we can actually try and quantify this and actually give people what we think is a biological age. So this would just say your body looks like someone who is a given chronal, the average person that's, let's say, 50 in the population. Mm. Um, and that number actually seems to be much more meaningful for health than knowing your chronological age. Hmm. And I guess like the next question then is, you know, wh what is someone supposed to do with that information once they have it, right? Like, yeah. you know, because I think some people, there's probably, like you said, like if you're going to get your biological age tested, you probably clean your act up. There's a lot of people who are like, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to know. <laughs> like I had a lot of fun yeah. in my 20s. Uh, I sleep terribly. I'm stressed all the time. Like I would prefer just to not know. Yes. Uh, ignorance is bliss. And actually, right. there's a lot of people who don't want to know. Um, my argument would be that biological aging or aging in general is semi-modifiable. So we know mm. only about maybe 10% of this is actually dictated by your genes. And yes, there's also some random chance, but a lot of it is actually dictated by our lifestyle, our environment. Um, so for me, as someone who's maybe maybe a little bit of a control freak, I would want to know so that I can actually take actions to improve that. Granted, there's some people, right, they don't ever want to step on the scale. They don't want to ever, right. you know, have any insight on things. And that's their prerogative. But for people who actually want to take informed and actionable steps, I think this is an important thing. Yeah. Could, could we dig a little bit deeper? So is that what um, the current science is saying that like only 10% of our genetic makeup is responsible for, I guess, is, is it how we age? Yeah. So usually people look at life expectancy. Yeah, um, so okay. they used to think it was like 30%, but actually the most recent study, I think the most recent ones out of Calico, I think was about 10% and that seemed fairly generous. So mm. yeah, a lot of it is not genetics unless you're one of these really special kind of extreme, extremely long-lived people. So the people surviving to like 110 or beyond, they probably have some genetic lottery, but the majority of us, our genes only have a slight kind of influence on our aging and, and lifespan. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I, if I told you this when, when we reached out and I lottery is a good way to put it. So I, on my mother's side, uh, great grandfather lived to be over a hundred um, and I, I, my mom has not been listening cause she's not fact checked me on this. I can't remember if it's four, if it's four of the siblings within that family, I think it was four of them lived to be over a hundred and like the fifth one died in a car crash sort of thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> but on my dad's side of the family, like, I don't think a man has made it past like 60, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? In like generations. Yeah. So I really don't know what I'm dealing with. Um, I would love to think I'm going to hit that lottery, but I'm trying to prepare for the worst. So. Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, uh, not to go negative first, but, you know, when we start thinking about things that impact the way that we age, I guess, what are some of like the most, uh, some of like the biggest detractors or some of the most like harmful agents um, in the environment that kind of influence how our body ages? 
So probably the most well-studied, and perhaps this is not revolutionary science, uh, is smoking. So smoking ah. is the one thing that, you know, Shocking. people live on average 10 years shorter. And we can see it in terms of these biological age measures that they look, smokers look substantially older. Yeah. Um, so that's one. Uh, I mean, and, and then there's some question on, well, is air pollution have similar effects to smoking? So people who live in highly polluted areas hmm. um, might also experience some of the same deleterious things and then for me the other thing is probably a sedentary lifestyle so if you don't move it's probably doing a number on your health would be my guess yeah um oh, i was just yes there was something interesting and, and you kind of just referenced it in your book and again I, I don't did we did we even talk about your new book true age oh. <laughs> uh, what, what is what is the launch date um, I haven't written uh, down. May third. May third. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully listeners can get this by the time that, or get the book by the time it comes out. But um, one thing that I read in there that really kind of made me think, you know, it's like right now we're using science and machine learning and big data and all of these things to try and um, find a way to better understand how people age. But people kind of have this innate ability visually to just get a really good sense of what age someone was at a point in time. Like, I think the example mm -hmm. you gave was like, if you saw your grandparent back when they were in high school, instantaneously, you know, you, your brain is able to be like, oh yeah, they're probably a teenager. Yeah. So it's funny that like, we kind of have this already built in mechanism to kind of get a sense of like where someone might be in this aging process. And stop me if I'm putting words in your mouth or getting any of this wrong. No, no. Um, but it's so interesting now that we're at a moment in time where now the data the science, uh, the measurement capabilities are starting to catch up to, to validate some of that back of the napkin math. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Our brains are already wired to be able to kind of see aging, right? Or at least recognize it. Um, hmm. If I asked my daughter who, who looks older, me or her grandmother, she would she would answer, I hopefully, hopefully she'd answer correctly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> who knows? Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, the exciting thing actually is that a lot of the measures we're developing to also show to be correlated with with kind of uh, estimates of facial aging. So these are all related, um, although we know people can alter their their facial aging. So it's not always a true reflection right. of what's happening under the skin. But, you know, for people who are not altering it, it, it can be a decent indicator of what's going on as well. Yeah. Well, and and you just mentioned like the the methods of measuring aging. So, you know, I've, I've, okay, I've been doing this podcast for like two years. And since the very beginning, I was like, I need to get someone on to talk about telomeres because that's how we measure <laughs> age today. And in reading your book, you know, I was like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> it sounds like things might've changed a little bit. Yeah. Um, would you mind, I mean, we could even start by talking about telomeres because I think that, I think that in itself is really interesting, but maybe just more broadly, like what are kind of the um, available methods that we have today to try and understand biological age? Yeah, so there, there's actually not an agreed upon way to mm. estimate biological age. And I think okay. this comes down to the idea that aging affects so many factors in our body that I always argue that you could probably create a decent aging measure from almost anything that you can measure in a human system. Mm. Um, just because everything kind of goes, we know it kind of all goes wrong. Not everything goes wrong, but a lot of things go wrong with age. Yeah, yeah. Um, so probably the first like really publicized aging measure, as you mentioned, was telomeres, which basically what this is, is every time your cell divides, the end of uh, the chromosome gets a little bit shorter. So, you know, it doesn't get fully copied. 
Um, and once it reaches a certain length, so it becomes really short, your cells either undergo apoptosis, so they die, or they undergo this state change called senescence, where mm. they can't divide anymore, and they actually end up being kind of hazardous because they sit around and excrete all these inflammatory markers. Um, these are, the, are these the zombie cells? Yeah, the zombie oh, cells, okay. exactly. Do we not like that term in the medical community? <laughs> is that for, uh, is that for folks like me? <laughs> yeah, there's definitely people in the senescence field who do not like the term zombie Got cells, it. but right. it Sorry, sticks guys. with people. So I think if you can... I mean, you look, it's, it. I got a lot of stuff going on up here and that stuck in and I can't yeah. remember half the things I'm doing throughout my day, but no, exactly. Zombie cells, I think stick. So yeah, these, these cells they are, they call them zombie cells cause they're not dead, right? They won't die. And actually they're, they're, you, you can't even really kill them very easily. Hmm. Um, but they also are not fully alive cause they're not dividing or kind of not doing what they were originally intended to. Um, so people are actually with telomeres saying, oh, well, we can measure the length. So you can kind of get mm -hmm. an estimate of how much of the shortening has occurred. Um, and it does relate to aging. It's one of the hallmarks of aging. But I would say in terms of a measurement of aging, the way we measure it isn't great. So we take, hmm. let's say, a blood sample or a saliva sample, and you kind of average all the telomeres in all the cells in that sample. And you get just one number. Um, and that's not that predictive of things um, mm. so we always we kind of test like first is it correlated with age uh, with chronological age and then another test is among people the same chronological age does it predict who's going to develop disease or who's going to die earlier and i would say of the different ways to estimate biological age it's not that good in in that regard interesting yeah, I, I remember, um, you know, I think the initial literature that I read about it, and again, this was communicating it to the general public and layman like myself. Um, but, you know, think about like the cap on the end of a shoelace, yep. right? And it's kind of like, so that, okay, and that's a good description. It's kind yep. of like this- That's the one that everyone used. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, okay, see that, that I can work with. Um, so, okay, so so telomeres today, like they, it sounds like they play a role, but not necessarily a great predictor of- biological age or I guess like to your point um is it, is it more about like risk of disease or death well, yeah so a lot of this is kind of we we assess the what's called construct validity of a biological age measure because there's no ground truth so we don't have a good way to say oh do we predict it really well because we have mm. nothing to really say so we what we ask is well does it relate to things that you would expect some, you know, biological age to relate to? And so, yeah, it's how, who's most at risk of age-related diseases, who, you know, we predict things like life, remaining life expectancy, functional decline, cognitive decline, these kinds of things. Got it. Um, so did telomeres and, and telomere length and, and telomere measurement, does that still, does that still play a role in some of these methods for trying to determine someone's biological age or, or have we now moved on to other methods and, you know, we're not even <laughs> pulling telomeres into the conversation any longer? I would say 90% of the field has moved on. Some okay. people still use them and measure them. Um, most people are not using them. Interesting. Okay. So what are we, what are we using now? Um, so I kind of like to think of it in terms of three kind of hierarchical categories. So mm. you can start at kind of like the most basic, easiest thing to measure, which people just do like a kind of deficit accumulation. So 
they give you like a number of things and they say, how many of these problems do you have? You know, how many you know of these specific diseases have you been diagnosed with? Do you have um, impairments when it comes to these different um, abilities? And you kind of just add this up and you get what some people have called like this frailty index score or deficit yeah. accumulation score. Um, so that's like the most basic at home, easy thing to do. Uh, I can try. And, I can try and link to it too if people are listening. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the little this little test, kind of like um, those magazine quizzes. I have one of these in the book, so you can find out your your deficit accumulation <laughs> score. Perfect. Um, a nice little Sunday then, reading. Yeah, exactly. That and your zodiac sign. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> um, so that's the most basic. But the issue with that is for most people who are younger and haven't accumulated anything, you know, there's like this seal there are floor effect right there you're mm. you you can't do you can't really differentiate people who have yet to accumulate disease and and actually we want to catch people before they get diseases um, right so that's the goal so then that's where there's kind of two other types of methods that come in so one is you can use just a basic lab test that you would get if you went in visited your doctor mm. um but unlike your doctor who kind of looks at one at a time and says, oh, you've passed this magic threshold that says you're in the risk category or not, what we do is we use it on a spectrum and combine it into kind of this overall system score. Uh, and this one we've called phenotypic age. And again, it it is predictive of all these things that we'd expect it to be. Hmm. Um and then finally, the maybe the most complicated one is this thing called epigenetic age. So mm -hmm. basically what that is, is we're looking at something called DNA methylation. So when we look at not the it's not a change in your sequence, so A, C, G, and T, but it's this chemical tag that you get to the Cs when they're next to a G. And mm -hmm. this kind of just tells the cell which parts of the genome are accessible to be used and generate these proteins versus which they should not, they're not accessing, they're kind of repressed. So when you have mm. the methylation in a region, that part of the genome's essentially shut off. Mm. Um, and methylation and that, being a sign of aging? So not necessarily, yeah, not necessarily an increase. So every cell has mm. a specific pattern of this methylation. So it's, okay. epigenetics is actually how you get a skin cell to be different from a brain cell, even though they have the exact same genome. So they hmm. use different parts of the genome to create their phenotype, uh, So they're expressing different, okay, got Yeah, it. exactly, different factors. Um, but the problem is that this, I, I like to think of it as the operating system of the cell. It tells the cell how to behave, what to do, like what to that. look okay. like. Yeah, but this, it becomes a little bit messed up. The system, again, gets messed up with age. So we can measure the pattern of where these, methyl um, tags are in your genome mm. and from that combine that information to give you you have you know the pattern of someone who's 30 years old or 50 years old or whatever it may be interesting so you know as i kind of listen to hear you describe you know how things degrade over age is is it almost more important for an individual and i guess this you know, is this leads back to like why track it? Is it more important for a person to establish a baseline for themselves, you know, whatever given moment in time, and then be able to understand how that's changing over time and use that as like maybe uh, I don't want to say like a more accurate indicator, but maybe a really important indicator that helps you understand if you're making progress or maintaining. 
Yeah, so we don't have really good studies on kind of this longitudinal tracking. Okay. But we think that this kind of continuous, like how how well you're doing over time is probably more important than your score on any given day. Mm. Um, and again, it, it comes back to more of this rate of increase. So are you increasing uh, okay. in biological age at the same rate at which you're increasing in chronological age? And as mm. you can imagine, you, you want to be accumulating fewer years of biological age for every year of chronological age. Right. What is the, um, just out of curiosity, um, what is like the biggest delta that you've seen between someone's chronological age and their biological age? I guess it would it'd vary by yeah. test, but. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what the biggest one is because I think sometimes we think, you know, sometimes you can get these really crazy outliers and, you know, um, probably a few decades, but whether really? that's true most people that's not the case so i think the standard deviation so most people fall within plus or minus five years of their chronological age okay um and then yeah i think it's more likely to see people on the higher so looking older than they actually are yeah versus these like very young predicted people the guy uh the guy who helps us um with some of the service around the house was just talking about one of the guys who owns this business. He's like, Yeah, man, he looks terrible. He looks 20 years older than <laughs> I was like, Well, yes, but <laughs> I was like, yeah. You get a biological age test on this guy. Yeah, um, exactly. That's interesting. Okay. And so, you know, today I guess, and I think you already said as much, like we don't necessarily have like a perfect measure for biological age today. But based on where we are, like you still feel like um, it's it's a valid metric to start tracking. And, and if so, like, do you have any recommendations? Like, what should someone look for when they start to assess all the companies that are springing out of the ground yeah. offering age testing? Yeah. So I think we're going to continue to improve these, and we're not, you know, we don't have the final versions yet. But they, the ones we do have, do kind of check off these few things that I think are really critical. Okay. So again, they correlate quite strongly with age. So, you know, often 0.9 correlation with age. Mm. But to me, more important is that that kind of discordance between what we're predicting your age at and what it actually, your chronological age is, has biological meaning. So as I said, it's predictive of all the things we would expect biological age to be predictive of. Um, and then the other thing that we have been working really hard on, and actually this is important when evaluating different tests, yeah. um, is kind of the reliability. So if I were to take the same test twice in the same day, would I get the same score? Um, uh -huh. So old versions of these epigenetic tests actually were really bad on this um, when it came to this reliability. You could get scores hmm. of five or ten years difference even from the same exact sample, just split in half. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So this is, this is a problem. Um, we actually developed an algorithm that removes all of this technical noise. And um, I only know of one company and I, I will just say that I had some affiliation with them in the past. So, yeah. you know, I will disclose there's a little conflict of interest. I don't get paid by them anymore or if people take the test, but hmm. um, that actually implements this new way to re remove this kind of random noise from the score. Okay. Are you allowed to share who that is? I mean, I understand. Uh, yeah, I'm happy. Yeah. So it's Elysium Health. Um, the test is fairly expensive. So I think mm. the other thing too, is if uh, I tell people, if you have a recent lab test from your doctor, this 
phenotypic age based on those measures is freely available. So there's actually right. people have implemented Excel spreadsheets where you can just put in your numbers and get out something. So that might be more kind of reasonable thing for people to do, you know, more continuously because it, it's not costing them $500 each time they do it. Yeah. It's like the cost of like a lab test, right? Going to Quest Labs yeah. or, yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, if we can get those listening to start, you know, paying attention to their biological age, any recommendations on like how frequently someone should be tracking that is this sort of thing like, Hey, every year on your birthday, take a, take a swab sample and mail it in. Or is it like, no, there's benefit in doing this monthly and seeing how things are evolving over time. Like, I guess how, how quickly could a change, um, show up in, in a test? Yeah, so I think this is the hard thing we don't know now because again, mm. the science that these were built on are usually one or two times, you know, people got tested one or two times and we look at whether they predict things. And only now with kind of the more consumer facing tests are people actually implementing them at kind of an N equals one level, so an individual level. Mm. Um, the one thing I would say is to not put so much weight into any single test okay. um, because you can do things that, might artificially change it. But then the question is, can you maintain that change? So I would imagine yeah. if you did a five-day fast, you would see a change because hmm. um, your body's responding to these different things you're doing. But then are you going to maintain that over, you know, months and months? So, right. yeah, it's kind of hard to say. I would say, you know, if you're doing a lot of stuff, maybe measure more frequently. If you're yeah. kind of doing what most of us are doing and we have our routine probably once a year, once every six months, like you would do a normal trip to your primary care physician. Got it. Got it. Well, and, and you brought up fasting. Um, you know, what are the sorts of things that do like, let's say someone, you know, regardless, they get, they get back, they do some sort of biological age test and they're like, ah, oh, you know, like I'm not very happy with the result. I would like to make a positive change what are the sorts of things that someone could start to do or change within their environment that would show up? Um, maybe positive is not even the right word, but would make a positive impact or yeah. reduce their biological age over time. Yeah. So um, I will just start with a caveat. It's probably different for every person. So yeah, it's kind course. of hard to say, I know it's, it, this is always <laughs> the issue, right? <laughs> it's more complicated than we wish it was. Yeah. Um, but definitely the things that I think most of us know, right? So exercise is probably a big one. Mm -hmm. um, so be, you know, try and maintain, you know, a fairly moderate level of physical activity. If, if you can do a higher, that's probably better. Um, yeah, diet is a big one. Actually, I was part of a study looking at what's called the fasting mimicking diet. So this is this five-day diet that Walter Long came up with. I want to talk to you about that. Yeah. Okay. Put a, so we're put a pin in that. Go ahead. But okay. I, I want to yep. make sure I come back to it. Yeah. So, you know, there are these different dietary interventions that you can do probably that will affect it. But again, it's making sure that you're not just doing something and seeing a change right away, but actually seeing this maintained change. Um, other things mm. are, you know, try to get better sleep quality, quantity, most of the basic lifestyle factors that we associate with healthy kind of lifestyle. Yeah. It's so funny because it's like, I would love for there to be some like, oh yeah, you need to do a uh, deep cryotherapy three times a week. I need to do fasting once a month. Like it, it's always like it, it, for whatever reason, and I swear it doesn't matter who I'm talking to. They're like, um, you should probably eat better. You should try and yeah. sleep better. 
and <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, work out a little bit. Like it, it's, it's you know, it's, right now. It's, no, but it's great though, because I think hopefully that's exciting to people. Um, because you know, it's like the thing that was exciting to me is when you said like, you know, uh, you know, I guess the rate at which we age or our life expectancy is only determined by 10% of our genetics. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me says like, look, you actually have a lot, again, a control freak. You have a huge opportunity to make a positive impact based on like the things that you choose to do, like lifestyle factors, environment. Um, you know, so I would, I would hope that that would be encouraging for people to hear that it's like, these are things that you can do today. You don't have to drop a ton of money. You know, mm-hmm. you could start making these positive changes, you know, the second you stop listening to this podcast. Yeah. And I think too, now with, as these measures get better and better, actually get real time feedback on hopefully how they're affecting you too. Right. Cause I think mm. otherwise, especially young people, right. We do these things. We're like, is that really benefiting me? Is that worth my, you know, 40 yeah. minute investment every right. day. And I think if you can actually see what you're getting back, hopefully that'll help keep people mo- motivated. Yeah. Well, and for you, I mean, you're like at the heart of this, um, in addition to biological aging, I guess like what else are are you interested in tracking to make sure that you're keeping yourself on track or I guess that, you know, the efforts that you're putting in are worthwhile. Yeah. I mean, I, I mainly don't track other things. Well, so I track my physical activity. Um, I was tracking my sleep, but then kind of fell off that bandwagon. Um, Uh, and I've gone through stages of tracking what I'm eating, but again, have not done that that rigorously. So probably my physical activity and I, I mean, I have an Apple watch, so every day kind of yeah. keeping track of that. What are, what are your thoughts on, you know, right now, um, I mean, it, it's always tough, especially when you start talking about like supplements, nutrition, um, like do you, well, actually let, let's talk about the diet for a minute. Um, I'm, I'm very interested in the role fasting plays in improving health span, improving longevity. Um, and it sounds like you had a partnership with Dr. Longo. Um, you know, are, was the, are you seeing measure, measurable results and positive impact from those who implement some sort of fasting protocol in their life or specific protocols and not others? Yeah, so the only one we tested is this bath fasting mimicking diet, which is this five-day protocol that uh, Walter Longo uh, came up with. Yeah. And the paper's not published yet. It's almost published. So I feel like I can feel somewhat confident <laughs> talking about it. And I okay. talk about it in the book. Um, but for this, we do see a, quote, decline in the biological age measure here. Here we're using the one based on the general lab tests. Hmm. Um and to me, the more exciting thing was that it, you didn't just see a decline. So people underwent three cycles of this five-day fast with like a month gap, I think, in between each one. My wife has done just, this now. Yeah, oh, so yeah. I'm I'm dialed in. Not me personally, you know? because I don't know if my <laughs> marriage hard. would survive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not the easiest one. I've done it. Um, yeah, you need some willpower in there. Yeah, yeah. But I will it. do it someday, I promise. I promise yeah, my wife you, I will do it, yeah. There you go. So yeah, you you do get this decline in biological age. But for me, the more exciting thing was we measured them, I believe it was five months after, Mm. and they'd returned to their normal diet. We didn't ask them to do anything else. And we still saw not the same degree of decline, but it was still a maintained decline in the biological age. Interesting. And so what, what do we attribute that to? 
Um, so I think we don't know the exact mechanisms. I think mm. some people have some hypotheses or they say, oh, it's activating the same pathways that something like caloric restriction might activate. But I think it, it's probably, again, more complex than we want. And we don't truly know what it is about this that's kind of giving us this benefit. We think it's this idea of hormesis. So these mild stressors can kind of make you, your body more resilient over time. but yeah, How that I, happens, we don't know. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because I, I always think that's so interesting. It's like this fine line that you need to walk. It's like on the one hand, I suppose a mild stressor, as you put it, um, can actually make you more resilient. However, chronic stress mm -hmm. can age you faster. So, um, and this might be an obvious question. So if it is, we could skip over it. But what what, what is happening in the body that a mild stressor can actually help um, like, as you said, make someone more resilient or hopefully for the purposes of this podcast, right. Um, you know, like decrease your biological age. Yeah. So again, I think we don't fully know what's mm. happening in your body in response to this. I mean, even yeah. exercise, which people have studied for decades, we don't know right. exactly how exercise is actually conferring this benefit that we usually see to health. Um, probably because it's doing tons of different things, you know, it's a, it's an intervention right. that's not targeting one gene or one path. You know, your whole body is having to respond and and kind of build resilience and it almost evolve in response to these stressors. Right. Yeah. It's like your cardiovascular system. It's you yeah. Know, everything is getting everything. Hit. Um, okay, that makes sense. Well, and and what do you think about? So right now, I feel like what's very in vogue is um, you know supplements. So mm -hmm. there's like. NMN, there's resveratrol, there is, um, I don't know if you call metformin a supplement, I think it's an actual, you know, prescription yeah, yeah. drug. Um, but you know, what, what is kind of like the, the aging communities, uh, and when I say aging, I'm speaking more to like the actual scientists doing the research, yeah. you know, what, what is kind of the thought there on where all of that stands and what we know about it and, and how beneficial it can be? Um, I would say, like most things in science, there's absolutely no agreement, and people argue about this all the time. Um, I will say we don't have very good data that any of these are truly beneficial. Hmm. Um, we don't have data on the contrary, so I'm not saying we have data that they're not helpful or that they're deleterious, but there's not substantial enough data that you know I would go out and recommend it to anyone um, in particular. And again like like everything it probably depends on you whether you'll actually benefit from any one of these things so my guess with metformin or something like that uh is that certain people will have more benefits um than others, than others from that but again yeah. that's theory i don't know this for sure and we'll have to wait for these clinical trials to actually pan out right so, you know, for you, and again, like for people listening, I, I really enjoyed the book. Like I said, I'm about halfway through it. So I'm sure there's a lot of these questions like this guy didn't read the end of the book because she already no. answers that. Um, but, you know, for you, I guess, obviously you work in a very interesting field um, and beyond just wanting to kind of share your research. Like, well, what was the intention behind writing this book? Uh, to t I, if I'm going to be brutally honest, it, I did not have the idea to write this book. I actually... Oh. You're tapped by those, I, by yes. the powers that be. I see. Exactly. So I, I think I did an interview or some segment on a CNN thing and they thought, oh, you should expand this. And CNN didn't say this, but um, um, my 
agent actually approached me and said, oh, you should actually make a whole book out of this. And yeah. At the time I thought, okay, why not? And then, and then that's how it came to be. Well, it's such like a fascinating, I'm going to call it a space, but mm -hmm. you know, it, it's, it's, I think what excites me the most about it is, you know, you, there's all of these things that you try and incorporate into your life to kind of either like optimize your health or, you know, give yourself the best chance to improve your, your long-term health span. Cause I think, you know, a lot of people want to, they, they want to live a long time, but they don't want to live a long time if it means the last 20, 30 years are spent like sick, incapacitated. Right. So it's like, yep. look for me and, uh, and actually maybe we can talk about this a little bit too. I, I've become more aware of the fact that the big light bulb that went off was when my own father passed. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, on a, for a number of reasons, like it shook me, but I think it, something in my brain was just like, we got to get things dialed in, you know, yeah. it's like, I don't, I don't want to have my kids watch me go through that at a young age. Right. Or mm -hmm. it, for, to the extent that I can control it, I want to be here in like the best possible quote unquote shape that I can possibly be. Um, and, and so I think the thought that now we can start to have some sort of quantifiable data to give you feedback. It's like, mm -hmm. Hey, what you're doing is working or it's like, Hey, you know, like, it might not be a hundred percent an accurate representation in terms of how we'd like to think about it, but there might be something concerning here that we need to address. Like, I think that data point is like really exciting. Um, well, and if you don't mind, like I, I was fascinated to hear that your dad was like, it sounds like a pretty interesting person if you don't mind talking yeah. about him. Yeah. I mean, I, I think my family, we always joke that, you know, they could do another Forrest Gump iteration, but with his life, cause he has like every <laughs> interesting thing he did. Um, so yeah, he's kind of the reason I got interested in aging because when mm. I was born, I think he was 54 years old. Okay. Um, so I had a much older father than any yeah. of my friends did. And are, and, are, and are you the oldest or do you have siblings? And I'm the old, I have uh, half siblings that are older, but okay. I'm the oldest. Um, I have one younger sister who's two and a half years younger than I am. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So I feel like I was just aware of this whole concept of aging from a very young age because mm. I think I was worried about it. Right. I, I worried about his health and, you know, whether he'd be yeah. around to see things and he had been um, a really amazing athlete when he was younger. So he played football and baseball in college and was actually supposed to be played baseball professionally, but had a career ending injury. Um, mm. And at USC, also, right? I, like, I mean, yeah, when, when we yeah, say college, yeah, yeah, we're not talking like Southwest uh, Alabama state or something. Yeah. Yep. We're talking. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Fight on. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I mean, I even like, could like we talked about before visually see you know when I was young he could beat me in track any day of the week um but as I got a little older and he got older as well like I could just see his kind of loss of physical ability and it was something I think that really he was very aware of and and it bothered him and yeah, yeah I was always worried about it and worried about his health so yeah yeah well and I, I think too for people who you know uh a lot of the joy that they get out of life is being active um, mm -hmm. or, you know, performing at a high level and whatever that is. When you start to see signs of that decline, it's really concerning. You yeah. know, for me, the big thing was um, I'm in sales, you know, when I'm not doing this, like I, I work in the technology <laughs> field. So everything like, like, you know, whatever I learned yesterday is probably out, out of date tomorrow. Um, 
and so it's like, but like, so being very like sharp and being able to communicate mm -hmm. and like have really quick word recall is like critical to what I do. And when I started, you know, being like, oh, I can't quite grab that word. Like, I can't get that to the forefront of my head. Like, what is that? I was like, oh my God, like what is going on? And that's what kind of put me down this path of, all right, we need to get things dialed in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's like for people, I think, who live um, where they're constantly pushing themselves, again, kind of that being at the top of the hill when you feel like that ball starting to roll down the other way. Mm -hmm. Oof, it's a little concerning. Yeah, I feel like when we're young, right, we think we're invincible. It's like, yeah. oh, I can do this because, you know, I can go out and party tonight because I'm fine. I don't right, I right, don't right. feel it or, yeah, exactly, all these things. And then you get to a point where, like, oh, no, I can actually see or feel <laughs> these changes. I need to, to kind of pay attention and see if there's anything I can do about it. I mean, some people don't. Yeah. Some people are like, well, it's part of life. But I think a right. lot of us, we don't want to, you know, go quietly. No. Well, let me ask you this, you know, in, in your opinion, um, I guess, you know, there's, there's probably gonna be two answers here. Like what is like the broader community say? And I guess they're all arguing, so we can skip that one. Um, but what, what are, do you think that there's a, a, a finite limit on lifespan or do you think, um, that we've seen, you know, enough in recent years that there might be hope that you could, you know, quote unquote, like cure aging? So my hypothesis is, and again, this isn't based on great data because right now I think no one really knows and it's no all speculation. Um, yeah. I would imagine right now there's probably a limit to human lifespan. I think people estimate like 120 years. Mm. Um, I don't think that necessarily has to always be the case. So, you know, human endeavors, like we've discovered things that we humans shouldn't be able to do, right? fly. I mean, we can't personally fly, sure. um, but yeah, all these different things, right. That we've kind of evolved even beyond our initial capacity. So that's not to say that there could not be a tremendous breakthrough in the field that could allow us to surpass that potential upper limit, yeah. whether humans could eventually completely stop aging. I think I'm a little less optimistic about, um, okay. Because it, it goes back again to my definition of aging, that it's this, you know, shift away from this state. And I would say, I don't think it's ever possible to truly halt and like freeze your system in time because it's constantly dynamic and, you know, so it can't not ever change. Right. Um, and I don't think it's truly possible to fully reverse back to an initial state. You could reverse yeah. back to something that might look like a version of that, but I think you're going to you'll, you'll always be quote changing in some degree. And so I, I'm leaving it open to what that means in terms of lifespan limits, but yeah. yeah. Do you think there's more opportunity in improving health span versus, um, just straight longevity? Like, Hey, we're going to eke out another 20 years, but. Yeah, I think that's, I, I mean, I am kind of on the perspective that that's where the science should be focused. Mm. Um, I mean, I think if you ask most people, would you be happy to live to 110, but in really good health? So, yeah. you know, when you're 80, you feel like the person today does when they're 50. I think most people would love that yeah. and to say, oh, you can make it to 100 or 110 with no disease or major cognitive impairment or physical right. uh, impairment. And I think, again, 
that might be more doable, especially for there's a large sector of the population that doesn't even make it to even median life expectancy, let yeah. alone past that. So figuring out how to just get those people, you know, mm. expand their health span and lifespan, I think is we don't talk enough about. We only talk about kind of that maximum upper limit too much. So that's true. And it, am I remembering has has the has the lifespan in America actually been on the decline? Yeah, I think the most recent years. recent years they've shown that we're actually reverting to some degree. Crazy. Yeah. It's just so interesting. I, I talk about this with um, Sonia, my wife, sometimes. It's like as things get easier, um, we tend to get away from the things that like we have to do. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, it, it's it's kind of like um, once once a luxury becomes just a part of your daily life, yeah. It's actually detrimental in the long run, you know? Yeah. It's like, hey, you don't have to like toil outside all day and like hunt or do everything with physical labor. Like you can actually, you know, you can work in a nice, comfortable air conditioned office. You can sit in a chair. You're like, yeah. amazing. That's a huge improvement over what I've been doing. It's yeah. Like, yeah. But if you do that for long enough, it's like that'll actually take years off your life because now you're not functioning. You're not using your body the way that it was meant to. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. I feel like now we have to force ourselves to be active, whereas, it's you know, crazy. our ancestors, it was just that was the way of life. I always love I love the um, the animated movie WALL-E, right? They've all yes. evolved to just float around in these chairs. And I, so I hope that's good. not in our future, but I know yeah. but it, it's scary. It does feel like you're trending that way a little bit. My kids got a kick yep. out of it. Um, another another one in that vein is idiocracy. I mean, that's a oh that's yeah, a, exactly. I don't, if, <laughs> I don't know if people have seen that. That one has some I've scary true it. predictions. Um, but yeah, so you know, it, it's this balance of trying to understand, like, hey, what what is available to us that technology has to offer? But then also, it's like you got to get back to like this primitive state a little bit and like do what you like evolve to do mm -hmm. um it's a really really interesting balance to try and strike yeah absolutely you have to push your body a little bit out of its comfort zone yeah yeah well and i guess maybe maybe we can kind of end on um this thread you know in addition to your own work you know is there anything happening right now that is really exciting to you and it, it could be specific to understanding aging it could be in a related field like is there something going on that you think is really interesting and could be really impactful? Yeah, so actually it intersects a lot with uh, stuff that we work on. And actually I switched focus to actually work a lot on this thing. So this idea of epigenetic reprogramming. Hmm. Um, and it kind of goes back to, you know, when I describe what an epigenetic age is. So again, yeah. you know, every cell type in your body is a different epigenetic profile or operating system. Um, so what uh, someone named Shinya Yamanaka discovered, I think it was in 2007. Is oh, that I think I just can, read about this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can you can express these four genes that are normally expressed during development. You can actually take even an old skin cell and make it like an embryonic stem cell. So it looks like an embryonic stem cell, um, which is that that was revolutionary um, hmm. for a few reasons. But the reason people in aging got so excited is because even before the skin cell becoming a stem cell, it seems to reverse its aging profile to some degree. So it kind of goes through the state where it's an old skin cell, then a young skin cell, and then you can push it back to being, you know, not a skin cell anymore. But aging <laughs> researchers are really excited about this idea of, can we just push 
different cells into these younger states and actually like change, you know, what might have been older kind of dysregulated epigenome back into more pristine functional state. See, and I'm I'm over here just telling people to work out a little bit, sleep. And then you're well, withhold- right now that's you're withholding they it. They do. don't have to. We're just going to reprogram all their cells and take 20 if years off their life. If we can figure out, yeah. So this <laughs> is the issue. This is the issue. Um, we can do it in a dish quite easily. Hmm. I mean, fairly okay. easily. We can kind of do it in a mouse. Um, again, it's a transgenic mouse, so it's had its genes are manipulated, so we can induce these factors to be expressed. Um, <laughs> Neither of those are are that beneficial for thinking about how you would do this in a human and especially how you would target this to different cell types in the body, whether they'd have different amounts of dosing that you'd want. So there's still a lot of hurdles. So I would say people should go exercise and eat well and not hold out for this because we might not actually figure out. I'm optimistic we'll figure out something, but it's possible we won't figure out how to do this. Very cool. And so you're, you're shifting some of your focus to this work? Yeah, so we're, we're really inter- interested in kind of linking the epigenetic changes we have actually observed in making these biological estimates, biological mm. age estimates, to actually figuring out how they're integrated into this and how this intersects, whether it's acting on the same things and biologically what's doing that, and actually whether you can find better factors because these were discovered for the whole idea of making stem cells, but you, we don't want to, you know, turn your entire body into a bunch of stem cells. You you want liver cells and skin cells. So, can you find factors that are just going to operate on this kind of aging reversal, wow. if you call it reversal? Yeah. Do you do you subscribe to this thought of like longevity escape velocity? Have you heard that? Yes, I have heard it. I mean, um, okay. I'm agnostic on it right now. I I think until we can have the big one breakthrough, I I don't, I mean, the concept makes sense to me, right? You, you basically, there's a breakthrough and it'll get you, you know, to live long enough till the next breakthrough. You kind of just keep riding this and um, the idea that you'll live substantially longer because you make it to each next breakthrough. Um, I would say we need the first one before I believe that this is anywhere in our future. Okay, we'll get get back to work because we need yep. we need to start converting these yeah these, exactly. the epigenetic cells. I'm not even gonna try and repeat. Yeah, you, no, it's fine. Um, well, awesome. I, this was so interesting, and as I said, uh, the the book is great. I can't wait to finish it. Um, so maybe maybe to that end, you know, for people who want to know more about your work, um, in addition to the book, like where where can I direct them? Uh, so I have like everyone. I'm on social media, so Twitter, Instagram. Um, I think I have a Facebook page, although it's, it's basically just redundant on my Instagram. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and my lab also has a website. Um, okay. I think it's just Morgan Levine Lab uh, that discusses a little bit more of the science that we're working on. Awesome. Well, we'll link to all of that. And again, folks, go out and get the book, True Age, Cutting Edge Research to Help Turn Back the Clock. Um, thank you so much. This is such a great conversation. And well, if you're up for it, we'd love to have you back at some point in the future. Absolutely. Thanks, Ken.